Well, good morning. Pastor P here. Want to say hi, camera one. Want to say hi, camera two. Good morning. And uh, we're going to get started. I don't know about you, but I already feel so full now just to have that time of, of prayer and worship and the centered moment. And what we're going to do is we're going to look to the last book of the Bible for help, uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation of Jesus Christ. The, the, the title literally means the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And I know what you're thinking. Well, we don't want to hear about apocalypse, Pastor B. That's doomsday-type language. But, but in the first century, the word really meant unveiling. It simply meant to unveil, to pull back the curtain, to reveal something of what was going on. And, and in the book of Revelation, something is revealed by Jesus, about Jesus, and about God's plan for the world. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ, it pulls back the curtain, it reveals what's really going on. What, what's gone on in the past, what's really going on right now, and what's going to happen in the near future. And that's the kind of help we need. That's the kind of help we need today. We, we need the God's honest truth. Am I right? That, that's what I need. Because we've all had questions, and we're only just now starting to get the answers. What God is here? What's going on right now? And, and what's coming in, in the weeks ahead? Most of us weren't talking about the warning signs. We weren't taking them seriously. Just a few weeks ago, we were just going about our normal, everyday life. Our leaders were downplaying the threat, minimizing the danger. And so we just went along with our life as it was and considering these issues we're way over on the other side of the world. But now our nation is taking extreme measures to bend the curve. That's a new phrase that we have now, right? Flatten the curve. Extreme measures to, to bend the curve of, of infection to save lives. Our leaders are taking extreme measures to, uh, to prop up and save our economy so that we don't slide into a depression. And every one of us needs to play our part in this work. But, but just a few weeks ago, none of us saw the danger. Well, there, there were a few people. One notable exception who did see the danger was Dr. Tony Fauci. Have you guys seen Dr. Fauci on TV? He's a little guy about this tall, paisan, Italian-American from Brooklyn, New York. He's the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infection, Infectious Diseases. And he's been a key advisor to presidents from Reagan all the way through uh, to Trump. And he's an expert on the study of the human immune system and on uh, viral diseases. And so throughout his career, Dr. Fauci has led the fight against HIV, SARS, swine disease, uh, Ebola, and, and now the current crisis we're in with the coronavirus. And he's on the air 24-7. I mean, I have your attention now for maybe, maybe 30 minutes at most, and he's on TV all the time at 79 years old. So we want to pray for Dr. Fauci that he keeps doing what he's doing. To me, what Dr. Fauci says is gospel. I'm just going to take him at his word. And his offer of help is exactly what we need in this time. And he's called for extreme measures to fight an invisible enemy. Dr. Fauci, in a way, is like 
John, the apostle, the prisoner, and the pastor who recorded the words here in the book of Revelation. Revelation that reveals God's honest truth, what's really going on. It was given to John uh, through a series of visions. He wrote down what he heard and saw. And what he heard and saw was filled with images and symbols from the Old Testament of what God was up to. Imagery, symbolism, just trying to make sense of the secrets of reality. And so there isn't something brand new in the book of Revelation. It's just these truths that we find throughout Scripture in a new way. And he was charged by Jesus to send it out to the seven churches in Asia Minor to both challenge and comfort Christians who, who were either not taking the spiritual danger uh, they faced seriously or they were already facing serious trouble under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so he recorded this and sent it out. And the words of the book of Revelation were an encouragement. They were a challenge to the early church. They've done so for the church for two millennia, for 2,000 years. And yes, even today, there's a challenge and a comfort in God's work for us here. And the challenge and comfort points us to extreme measures that you and I can engage in, in discipleship, in following Jesus. John reported from his visions that the invisible enemy was Satan, that the virus is sin, and that the only cure is Jesus Christ. That's what he reports here. And so we're going to read uh, from the book of Revelation, chapter 15. We're going to cover both chapter 15 and 16 in this message, but I'll just read uh, for us chapter 15. Listen now to God's word. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your, act, your righteous acts have been what? Revealed. After this, this is John speaking again. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure white, bright linen with gold sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished. There is a lot of symbolism packed into this one chapter of, of eight verses. Symbols that are signs pointing to a greater reality. I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into all the signs as we have in the past, but, but right out of the gate, let's not 
let's not skip over something that's, that's clearly standing out in this chapter. Not a symbol that needs a lot of explanation. Not, not a sign that's confusing to us that we have to search our lexicon to understand what the word is. What's the word? The word is wrath. Look at verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, the wrath of God is finished. And then at the end of chapter 16, again, it says, the fury of his wrath. And I know what you're thinking. What is he doing talking about that word? Like our viewership is dipping down right now. As we speak, people are turning off, moving away. Hold on. Just listen. Don't go anywhere for a second. I, I, I know that is troubling and, and maybe a little off-putting. And it's a fair question. Why do we have to talk about this? But hang in there for a moment. Because listen, we have to do something with it. It's, it's literally in God's word. So listen, don't, don't panic. We're not going to ignore it. This is not the end of the world as we know it. Apologies to Michael Stipe and R.E.M. That's my only Gen X reference in the whole sermon. Uh, but, but at the same time, I believe God is getting a hold of our attention, and we need to understand what he has to say to us right now. We don't need to ignore clear instructions from God's word. Amen? So let's see, what does it mean? If it's no time to panic, if this isn't something that should just cause us to turn away, what does God want us to do? God wants us to turn to himself, to pray, and to listen up. So let's, let's consider this word that we're talking about. John's not referring to an intense fly-off-the-handle anger, you know, just furious coming in, uh, smashing glasses in, in wrath. That's the kind of wrath that, that we know as human beings. No, he's referring to the biblical concept of God's wrath, a concept of, of God's strong opposition to all that is evil. If you're taking notes, you could write wrath, and that definition According to Scripture, it's God's strong opposition to everything that is evil. The Almighty, the Creator, is 100% good and love. And the Almighty, the Creator, is 100% just and holy, and wholly set apart. And nothing evil can be in His presence. And so the book of Revelation reveals this, that, that in the end, Nothing evil will remain in the new heavens and in the new earth. Nothing evil will remain in the new creation, the kingdom that God is bringing, that Jesus ushered forth. So what are these symbols? What are we, what are we talking about? These judgments of God symbolized by seven bulls poured out, and, and that is that word plagues in chapter 16. What's going on here? Well, they're echoing sort of a callback to Israel's exodus out of Egypt. Do you remember the story? Maybe if you're in Sunday school growing up as a kid, you remember the felt board stories about uh, Moses going to Pharaoh, being sent by God to bring a message, let my people go. This evil, this injustice, 400 years of slavery is going to end right now. Let him go. And what did Pharaoh do? He, he, he let him go only after a series of judgments came of plagues, to, to really wake him up, to show Pharaoh who's actually calling the shots, who's actually in charge. 
that God's wrath against this injustice and this evil against the people of God was being shown. And this references that experience of the people of God. So, so John sees this vision, and we've talked about this already, how it's almost like back to the future. It pulls his, his attention to the distant past, to the present, and to the distant future. He's seeing all these things. John's vision in chapter 15 and 16, it's the fulfillment of God's wrath against evil and injustice, but now on a global scale. And the aim here is to help us understand the danger we face if we don't get right with God. And the assurance, the promise that a final exodus will occur. But this time, it's not going to just be an exodus uh, for one nation. It's going to be an exodus of all nations. The scripture says, in the end, peoples from all nations, from all around the world, are going to be called out and drawn to worship God. And they will experience a new world where there will be no evil or injustice. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 15, if you're looking with me. It says, the people of all nations will, will come together. They're going to worship God. And then it says, they're standing alongside a, a sea. And the sea, or water, in the Hebrew worldview, was always a place of chaos. It's always a scary place. That's where evil dwelt. That's where, do you remember, that's where the dragon came out of the water. But notice, it's, it's crystal clear. It's still. And so the people join together, and they're going to party. I'm not, I'm not referring to those Florida kids there on spring break. Not that kind of party. This is a worship service. Look at verse 3 and 4. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty, Just and true are your ways. Just consider these words of how they're describing the Almighty. Just underline them. Take note of them. Maybe on your own you could study those words. Look for for truth throughout Scripture and justice. It says, O King of the nations. And then they ask a question. Who will not fear? That means who will not have reverent awe? Not being afraid, but have reverent awe. Who will not fear, O Lord, the glory of your name? For you alone are what? You're holy. Of of all the attributes that uh, that these singers could, could lift up, they lift up his holiness. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts, your right acts, your setting things right have been, as we said, revealed. This is exactly the kind of help that we need right now. Hope for justice in an unjust world. Hope for a better future. Not a fiction, not a fairy tale. I think in this crisis, in the midst of what we're facing now, God is grabbing hold of our attention. As a nation, as a people, I know he's grabbing hold of my attention. To say, Pete, turn all of your attention back to me. Trust in me. Look to me for truth, for justice, for holiness. Saying, trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Have you done that? Have you taken that step of faith to say, yes, yes, Lord, I believe. When everything else falls away, now I get it. I know that I 
need you now more than ever. Maybe this is the day that that's happening for you. And so when I consider what God's doing in the midst of this season, my reaction really is to confess, to say, Lord, help me. And I think about when Peter was on the boat with, with, with Jesus, and he saw, Peter saw how powerful Jesus was. He immediately said, Lord, away from me, I'm a sinner. He got how far he was from the righteousness that he needed. He was so far from being in right relationship with God. He had offended God. And when you do, when you take that step, then you and I can join in that singing, in that worship, the kind of worship that we just saw up here. Rob, what's that song? I have got the lyrics here. Come, let us worship our king. Can, can, I, can, I, can I join the, no, he's saying I can't join the team. Okay, I'll just le- read the lyrics because we really don't want to lose any more viewers. We're going to sing, come, let us worship the king. Come, let us bow at his feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. Good thing I'm not singing, but we're going to sing that. Can you sing that? Can you believe that? The great things that God has done. Have you put your trust in Jesus so that on that day you can stand? Now, John says that he saw a sanctuary. The word there, sanctuary, is really tabernacle. The tent of of witness was opened up to him. Again, this is a callback to the book of Exodus. The the, the tent of meeting, the, the tent of witness, this is where the two tablets of the Ten Commandments were stored. The moral law of God, the symbol of the Exodus. Remember Indiana Jones and uh, the, the Lost Ark? This is the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God's profound presence on earth, his holy character. And it's here, and John says it's open. And the, the point I think that, that Jesus wants to communicate here is God has sent and will continue to send his judgments, his corrections to the nations who reject the testimony of the Messiah, who turn away from the one who came, God in the flesh, to show us the way, the truth, and and the light, to show us the way to Jesus. Jesus is the messenger, perfectly God and fully man. And he's the one who's come. And now these judgments come on those who have rejected God and are abusing their power and using it against God's people. This is a powerful image of God's warning. And it's a warning for nations. Yes, we could talk about global size, but really when when it comes down to what are nations made up of? They're made up of people. And when I compare myself to God's perfect holy law, I'm a lying, thieving, adulterous, blasphemer. I mean, I'm so far from what God's intention is. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and he sets a standard that no one can reach, and that's the point. Because you only reach it through right relationship through Christ. It's only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So John sees these, these events, these historical events from the past, the present, and, and the near future, very, very symbolic 
things happening here in the series of seven. We've already seen the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and now the seven bowls. These are events coming at us from different perspectives. They're the same events, only from different perspectives. Think about like a, like a sports instant replay. And they're like, let's catch a different camera angle to show what's happening, to explain what's going on. Maybe on your own, for your own study, compare this chapter, chapter 16, with chapter 8. The, the trumpets of chapter 8 and the bowls of chapter 16. And you can see how they line up. It's the same events from different perspectives. And each cycle of seven summarizes what God's doing in the world. The angels with golden sashes around their chest, they're to remind us of priests, they're to remind us of the description of Jesus from the beginning of the book, who, who pronounced judgment, who come to fulfill God's plan to make the world right again. There are consequences to our actions. And these bulls symbolize the actions that God will take and has taken for two millennia to draw our attention back to him. And so I'm not going to unpack all of chapter 16. Uh, I'll, I'll have you read that on your own, on your own time. But as you look at them, first consider what is the symbolic meaning of each of these bulls? What's the global scale, the empires, the social economic systems that, that are being addressed here that need to be destroyed, the evil infrastructure. These are all the kinds of things that, that John is seeing God put right again. And then make it personal. Say, okay, I don't understand all of these symbols, but I can understand that I need to get right with the living God. The biggest difference between these lists that we've looked at before and the ones here is that it's total and final. For instance, with the trumpets, it only covered a third of the earth. It was sort of a, a warning shot. Get your bearings right. Get right with the Lord. And here, John is seeing the totality of God at the end of the age coming to make things right when Jesus returns. Now, notice one other thing. Notice the failure of the people who are enduring these hardships. Notice their reaction. The people we have here in mind are those who have taken the lives of Christians. These are people who have, who have taken the lives, whether it was Rome or, or Babylon or whatever uh, kingdom it was. And look at their reaction. Look at verse 16.6. Uh, it says they deserve what they're getting, the angel says. That God's wrath uh, is not arbitrary, but it's earned. Look at their response. Verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 9. It says they curse the name of God who had the power of these plagues. And then verse 11, they, they cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They, they shook their fist at God. Instead of turning to God for help, they just shake their fist at God. Could it be that God is using this crisis, this hardship, the difficulties that you and I are facing now? And I don't know what you're going through. I know that so many of our fellow citizens have, have lost their jobs this week, are going to struggle to, to make ends meet. I know our church has already been impacted by loss of life, loved ones who've succumbed to this. The pain and the struggle, the, the anxiety, the sense of 
social distancing that makes it so difficult to get through. I know that we're all going through this together. What encouragement does God have? I am so thankful that we are not alone. I'm not just talking about who we're here. I'm talking about that God has not left us, that we're not left to some cold, empty universe. It's just everything's left up to chance. There's cosmic dice roll. But, but no, God has come near to us, and he must have a purpose. If we know God to be true from his word, God's honest truth, that he loves us, that he has a plan for us, that he wants to save us, then I have to believe for you and for me, for our family, God wants to grab hold of our attention to draw us to himself, to draw us ultimately to these extreme measures that he's talking about here. What are the extreme measures? We're, we talk about extreme measures of discipleship. It means about following Jesus. Listen, here's the bad news, that word wrath. It bookends chapter 15 and 16. But friends, listen, here is the good news. These chapters are bookended by another word. That word is finished. Look at verse 15, verse 1 again. Chapter 15, verse 1. It says, the wrath of God is what? Finished! And now flip over to chapter 16, verse 17. It says, a loud voice. Can can you hear me? Am I yelling loud enough for you? It says, a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne of heaven saying, it is done. That's good news. So we've got to have, we have to hear the bad news before we can get to the good news. It is finished. When Jesus cried, it is finished, everything that needed to be done in order for you to have right relationship with God was completed. It was done. Fini. It was finished. What was finished? The spiritual virus of sin and separation. And what was the cure? Jesus. When he said it was finished, it was all done past, present, and future. I don't need to carry that burden. I don't need to be afraid anymore. I just trusted him. I give my life over to him. I follow him, and all will be right. Even when it goes terribly, terribly wrong in this life. Even when we suffer, and there will be suffering, and there will be hardship, and hard days ahead. But don't panic Don't lose hope because God is at work in this. And he's calling us to engage in extreme measures. Like Dr. Uh, Falke said, these these don't seem that extreme, right? Wash your hands. Your parents taught you how to wash your hands. I don't know about 20 seconds saying the Lord's Prayer for 20, but wash your hands. Don't don't sneeze on somebody. We learned that when we were in kindergarten, right? But now we really, really have to be careful. They seemed extreme a few weeks ago. Now they don't seem so extreme. They seem actually pretty reasonable. And that's what the book of Revelation is calling out. It seems extreme, but given the time that we all have before God comes back, they're not extreme. So here's the application. And thank you for sticking with me this long. We're almost done. Two application points. Number one, extreme measure number one. First and foremost, the church needs to bend a knee and confess before God. To confess before God for ourselves 
for our nation, for the world. And, and that means to repent. It means to turn our hearts back to God. And so, Lord God, we, we want to serve you and you alone and so many other things in my life and in our life have taken my attention away from what's most important. That's what it means to repent. And that starts with the church. And we do that on behalf of our nation too, God. We turn our hearts back to you, O oh God. And for our leaders, that we would turn our attention to you, to trust in you, O oh God. Does that seem too extreme? It's not extreme at all. It's throughout scripture. And it goes to number two. Only two points. Number one, we need to turn back to God. Number two, we need then to get up and go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I've been trying to do, folks. Uh, we can't gather together as a church, but we get to be the church now more than ever. Right at the beginning of this crisis, the church of Jesus Christ is called to serve with God's love. So throughout the ages, and I, and I looked up a little history of the word plagues and real plagues of the Black Death of the Middle Ages. And there are plagues in in almost every century, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, cholera in the 19th century, the Spanish flu in the 20th century, and yes, now, what we're facing now, and every time the church of Jesus Christ has rejected fear and has stood up for God's love and has gone forth to serve. Now is our time. So our extreme measure is this, respond to God's honest truth, to look to Jesus for help, to change our behavior, to walk in the light as he is in the light, as it says in 1 John, and then to share his love with our neighbors. And you're already doing that. I'm seeing the ways that you are doing that online, things that we're trying to do as a church in our little corner of the kingdom. But it's our duty, it's our privilege in these very hard times not to, not to hide not to stock up on toilet paper or ammo like the world's doing, but to go out to serve. And we have to find ways of doing that creatively, right? Because we can't leave our house. We have to abide by uh, what our government officials are saying. That's, that's appropriate. Romans 13, that's appropriate behavior. But we are going to find ways to go out and serve, to share the gospel, to just tell a friend right now about the love of Jesus Christ, that these warning signs are meant to call us to the Lord. That's what we're going to do. Because the one who said, it is finished, is the one who sent his son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life if we trust in him. And when you trust in him, you receive extreme measures of his grace and love and peace. Let's pray. So, Lord God, we pray in this time that these two extreme measures would be taken, Lord God. And so I just want to kneel down right now to pray, oh God, for, for my church, for those watching with me, our friends and guests that are watching, Lord, to confess before you, God, the ways that we have taken you for granted, the ways in which we have operated without uh, being in step with your spirit and relying on solely on your power, Holy Spirit. And we pray for our nation and for our nation's leadership, God, that, that you would uh, work in them, bring them wisdom and guidance, Lord, that you would get the glory. And then, God, we want to stand as a church. And we want to be used by you, God, 
not to be afraid, but to go forth with a testimony, with a word, and with an open hand of fellowship to help those in most need. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.